For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday as we begin a brand new week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. No matter how dark it is out there, guys, we are always happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. On Instagram, I'm at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I'm at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I can be reached at Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys. So send me a note. All right, uh, coming up here on the Monica Crowley podcast in the days and weeks ahead, we've got some really great guests uh, lined up for you. Next week, we're going to talk to Liz Wheeler about uh, how the left is coming after your children and what to do about it, how to guard your children, your grandchildren, America's children. That's going to be a really important conversation. Also next week, we are coming up on Thanksgiving. And man, do I have a show for you. Oh, yeah. This is called a tease in the business. (laughs) I've got an unbelievable show coming up next Thursday with an unbelievable guest. So I'm going to drop this show on you on the holiday on Thanksgiving. It is a very special show for a very special day and a very special week next week. So I'm going to drop it on you guys next Thursday and then allow you to have the entire Thanksgiving weekend, which is really, it's one of my favorite holidays, if not the favorite holiday, at least for me. And I'm going to lay out the reasons why next week, but I'm going to drop it on you on Thanksgiving. So you'll have the entire holiday weekend to listen and absorb this show. I am telling you it's that good or it's going to be that good. That I can promise you. So you're going to want to hang tight. And then as we head into the end of November and into December, we've got a lot of special things planned. And nobody you know should have FOMO either. Everybody should be listening to the Monica Crowley podcast. So please spread the word. Later today, we're going to be joined by Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, who's got a new book out called Unwoke. How to defeat the radical left with all of this wokeism. And, you know, honestly, guys, it kind of feels like there's been a shift, little shift here. We may have reached peak woke. Keep in mind that woke is just a rebranding of communism. I've said this for a long time that communism never goes away, it just gets rebranded. Well, now Elon Musk must be listening to the Monica Crowley podcast because a week or so ago he was on with Joe Rogan and and basically said the same thing. He was like, you know, woke is just rebranded communism. Exactly, Elon Musk. 
Thank you, Mr. Musk, for <laughs> listening to the Monica Crowley podcast. He should be listening to this show. Am I right? Uh, anyway, so Senator Ted Cruz is going to be here with uh, what we're up against how it all happened, and what we can do to fight back. We are already beginning that process, and it's already bearing fruit. We are already beginning to see a lot of these companies, businesses, industries, maybe not academia, not yet. That is the hardest bastion to crack. But we are starting to see like BlackRock and some of these big, big institutions start to move away from DEI, start to move away from this kind of woke agenda that is destroying their businesses, destroying capitalism, and destroying the country, which is, of course, the point. But we're starting to see a turnaround here. So Senator Cruz is going to join us here in just a couple of minutes. I can't wait for that. Sit tight. But first, the Monica memo. Why have Democrats destroying the country when you can have Republicans doing it while lying to your face? I have shared this antidote before, but it bears repeating. When I was working for President Nixon during the last couple of years of his life, one of the things that he shared many extraordinary things with me, but one of the things that has always stuck with me is he used to say, you know, and again, keep in mind, this is like the mid-1990s. He would say, you know what? I have more respect for a true believing communist than I do for an American Democrat. And when I asked why, he would say, well, at least the communist is straightforward. The, the communist, yes, will lie to get stuff done, but they're very straightforward about who they are, what they believe, what they're doing, and what they intend to do. Whereas the American Democrat actually is a communist, but will lie about caring about the country, wanting to preserve freedom and free market capitalism and all of that, all lies. So Nixon used to say, I, you know, I got more respect for someone who will tell you exactly who they are and what they believe versus someone who will lie to your face and then stab you in the back and do something completely different. Well, now that the Democrats are completely communist, um, I feel like it that, that Nixon's formulation there can be flipped. I now have more respect for out-communists like, say, Bernie Sanders than I do for establishment swamp Republicans. Because those establishment swamp Republicans will lie to your face about believing in limited government, fiscal responsibility, enforcing the border, law and order, strong national defense. And yet when push comes to shove and they have to support legislation, vote, stand up for those principles, they do not. This is why the MAGA movement is so critical. This is why America First is so critical, guys because it stands in stark contrast to the establishment swamp system Republicans who are actually Democrats, who are actually communists. The America First movement is exposing all of their rot. Yes, the rot on the left, the, the rot with the communists, the rot with the propaganda press, the rot with big tech. Yes, of course, we're exposing all of that. And it's bad and it's dangerous and we are fighting it. But we are also exposing the rot on our own side 
because frankly, they're not on our side. They're on the side of the left. Actually, they're on the side of themselves. And so therefore, to enrich and empower themselves, they align with the left, they align with the communists and the Democrats and whatever other forces are amassed against us to destroy the Constitution and capitalism. So those are the people that you need to watch the most because they are inside the tent. AOC and Bernie Sanders and the rest, the propaganda press, they're all outside the tent. We know that they are adversaries. We know that they are working around the clock to destroy the country because they tell you. But these Republicans are wolves in sheep's clothing. And they lurk around and they talk a good game and they tell you, oh, yes, I'm for an enforced border and I'm for law and order. I'm for the Constitution. I'm for lower taxes, reduced government and government spending. All lies. The wolves in sheep's clothing are worse than the Bernie Sanders and AOCs. They are obviously on the war path. They're coming at you and making no no bones about it. But the swamp system Republicans who will lie and then turn their back on you in a split second for themselves, selling out not just you, but the country. As the country hangs in the balance, they are the worst. And now we've got a couple of examples here of how bad they actually are. Just in the last, mm, I don't know, 42 hours or so. Listen to this. So Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is a hero of the America First movement, she's been on the show, we'll have her back on the show. She did a great thing by putting together an impeachment resolution against the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. And the reason she did this is very clear. He is presiding over and executing the worst illegal immigration crisis in American history with the wide open southern border and the wide open northern border and wide open ports of entry everywhere else. Speaking of the northern border, guess what? We've all been focused on the southern border because at least 10 million people have come over in the last three years. And these are the 10 million that we know about, okay? Gotaways, suspected terrorists, drug cartel members, Chinese nationals, you name it. Every enemy of the United States has just walked across the border. About 10 million. And again, these are official numbers, so it's probably a lowball estimate. It's probably more like 12 million in the last three years since Biden has been president and erased all of the good and very effective things that Donald Trump put in place when he was president. Trump had the illegal immigration situation solved, solved, remain in Mexico, uh, uh, no more catch and release. He had a whole series of policies enforcing the border, deporting illegals once they're caught, He had a whole series of policies in place that essentially had the illegal immigration problem solved. Biden comes in, reverses all of it, and catastrophe unfolds. Not just at the southern border, but the northern border too. Guess what? You know, with all of this renewed focus on the potential 
with all of this renewed focus on the potential for terrorists coming into our country unchecked, something that I have been screaming about on this show, as you guys know, since I debuted this show in March of 2022. But now everybody's focused on it because of what is going on in Israel and the Middle East. Well, guess what? There have been since Biden... Let me, let me put it into more perspective for you. In the four years that Donald Trump was president, only 11 suspected terrorists attempted to cross and engaged with Border Patrol. 11. Now, of course, one is too much, but 11. In the three years that Joe Biden has been president, at the southern border, it's been about 250. But guess what? At the northern border, where our focus is not trained at all, about 460 suspected terrorists have come across that border. So again, all it takes is one, but we are talking about probably near a thousand suspected terrorists on the terrorist watch list, never mind those who have been radicalized since and are not on the terrorist watch list, never mind the ones that we haven't apprehended or had no interaction with Border Patrol. We have no idea. This country is crawling with suspected terrorists, plotting away and beginning to, to think about executing terrorist attacks in the United States. Things that would make 9-11 look like child's play. Things that would make what happened in Israel look like child's play. We are, after all, the great Satan. Israel is the little Satan. So imagine what they did there, what they have planned here. You got a taste of it on 9-11. So in that context, Marjorie Taylor Greene um, and then, of course, there's the bigger context of, you know, 10 to 12 million illegal immigrants just in the last three years, destroying communities, bringing in crime, bringing in drugs, killing American citizens. We have no operational control over the southern border, and I guess not the northern border either. Terrorists coming across, the strain on our resources from healthcare to education, all of it. So with that in mind, Marjorie Taylor Greene stepped up and drafted an impeachment resolution of DHS Secretary Mayorkas, who continues to lie through his teeth to the American people about the border is secure. That is a straight up lie. Everybody knows it's a lie. Everybody can see it's a lie. But when you are a Democrat, when you are a communist, you enjoy the protection of the press. So when that, when that is the reality, you can lie all day long and there will be zero accountability for you. And of course, they all know that. So they all lie. Corrine Jean-Pierre from the White House podium lies through her teeth. Mayorkas lies. Biden lies. Harris lies. They all lie. By the way, Harris is supposed to be the border czar. I mean, the whole thing is a dangerous joke. And they're laughing in your face. But you know who else is laughing in your face? Republicans. Not all of them, obviously. There are some heroes like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and others. But how about this? How about these eight jokesters who are laughing in your face? These are eight Republicans 
who voted yesterday to kill MTG's resolution to impeach DHS Secretary Mayorkas. By voting to kill this impeachment resolution, they are complicit in the ongoing criminal illegal immigrant invasion of this country by millions of illegal aliens. They are complicit. And when there is uh, the inevitable terrorist attack, and there will be probably multiple ones, and American people die, these eight Republicans are going to have blood on their hands the way Joe Biden and Mayorkas will have blood on their hands. Congressman Patrick McHenry, who was the interim House Speaker after we dispatched McCarthy, Congressman Tom McClintock, Congresswoman Virginia Fox, Congressman Darrell Issa, which I am shocked about, Congressman Cliff Bentz, Congressman Ken Buck, Congressman Mike Turner, and Congressman John Duarte. Those are the eight absolutely disgraceful Republicans who yesterday joined all Democrats in torpedoing the impeachment resolution on Mayorkas. They are disgusting. This is absolutely disgraceful. I have not heard any kind of reasonable explanation for why any of them voted the way they did. But they are absolutely despicable. And I guarantee you that they are going to face primary challenges. Maybe not all of them, but many of them. We are sick and tired of these kinds of fake phonies professing to be concerned about the American people and the country and our border. And then when push comes to shove, they vote against it with the Democrats. No, we have had enough. This is what the America First movement is all about. There's going to be real consequences for them. There need to be consequences for them. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, I want to deal with uh, what is going on in California and what is going on in Washington, D.C. today. Okay, sit tight. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, welcome back. We are moments away from being joined by Texas Senator Ted Cruz on wokeness. You're not going to want to miss that. First, though, I want to deal with uh, two things that are happening today and tomorrow. Uh, First, the Chinese president, the communist dictator of China, uh, Xi Jinping, is arriving in San Francisco San Francisco, as all of you know, used to be one of the crown jewels of the United States of America. It is an absolutely spectacularly beautiful city. The city by the bay, the Golden Gate Bridge, the cliffs, the the water, the shimmering nature of the entire city, the hills, the cable cars. San Francisco is unique in America. 
and absolutely breathtaking. Or it used to be until the leftists took full control over it and absolutely drove it into the ground, as they have with every state they control and every city they control. Just turned it into an absolute bleephole, okay? Remember when President Trump talked about bleephole countries? Well, the left is intent on turning America into a bleephole country, and they started with the cities, And so San Francisco now is just, I I haven't been there in quite a while, but you, you don't need to visit to be able to see the footage of the homeless, the drug addicted, Uh, people defecating in the streets, shooting up in the streets. The streets are covered with used needles and used condoms and marijuana smoke and the drug use and the, the homeless encampments all over, just destroying this jewel of the country. Well, um, there is the Asia Pacific Summit, which uh, is happening in San Francisco, beginning today, I think running through tomorrow, maybe Thursday. And uh, the folks who run California, like Governor Hairdo, has decided that, holy crap, yeah, this city is awful. This is a bleep hole. We can't have foreign dignitaries come here and see what a bleep hole this is. We got to clean it up. So like the old Russian czars, when the Russian czar was going to visit a village in Russia, the government made sure that that village was really cleaned up, sometimes to the point where they would erect fake facades, and it would come to be known as a Potemkin village. So the czar would roll through town and think everything was shiny and new and fantastic because these facades were up to block his view or her view from the absolute filth and poverty and disgustingness that was behind the facades. So what Governor Hairdo and the Democrats in California have done, they were like, oh, crap, we can't have the communist uh, dictator of, of China come. We got to roll out the red carpet and clean this crap up. Literal crap off the streets. So they took the last couple of days and boom, in record time, cleaned up San Francisco. It is sparkling. The homeless have been moved out. The needles and human feces have been removed from the streets. The streets are now glistening just in time for this foreign conference, just in time for Xi Jinping. I want you to listen. Gavin Newsom was asked about this. Listen to his response. Anytime you put on an event, by definition, you know, you have people over your house. You're going to clean up the house. You have 21 world leaders. You've got tens of thousands of people coming from all uh, around the globe. Uh, what an opportunity to showcase the world's most extraordinary place, San Francisco. Uh, so according to Governor Hairdo, the communist dictator of our most existential enemy, China, deserves a clean and safe San Francisco. But you don't. I just want you to absorb that because that is the essence of America last. America as a country last, but Americans, you and me, last.
They sweep the homeless, the drug addicted, the mentally ill, the feces, the drugs, the needles, the the filth, the garbage, the, the hovels that the homeless are living in. Sweep it all under the rug for the communist dictator. But they don't care enough about you to do that on a daily basis. And of course, as soon as she and the foreign dignitaries are gone, well, the facades will all go away and San Francisco will slide back into decay, filth, and disrepair. Because that is how much they hate you. This is what we mean by America last. They do not care about you. They want you living in the filth. They want you to be demoralized and hate your country as much as they do, because then if you're demoralized and hate America, well, then it makes it easier for them to destroy the country because you will not put up a fight. That's what they want. Governor Hairdo lives in the governor's mansion. And he's got armed guards. He's got full protection for himself. He lives in a finery. He goes to the French laundry while you're locked down and and you can barely afford groceries. He's eating a $500 meal, maybe more. Do you see what I mean? The split in the country is between the elites, the ruling class, the system versus the rest of us. And that applies to both parties. As we said in our first segment here, you've got enough Republicans who are part of the uni party system protecting each other and themselves at the expense of you that this is a, a, a split between the uni party system and everybody else. This is where we are. This is the depth of corruption. This is the depth of the tyranny that we're in. The other thing that I want to point out that's happening today is this massive March for Israel. It's happening today in Washington, D.C. We're going to keep a close eye on it, but there are so many people who are coming out to uh, protest anti-Semitism, this raging anti-Semitism that's always been bubbling under the surface, but has now exploded into view. That is really horrifying, right? It's so horrifying to think that this kind of hatred and radicalism is always in this country right under the surface. And you want to know why? Because the left goes out there and talks about tolerance and and the need to accept everybody, while at the same time, in the shadows, they are stoking division and hatred. Because that's what they need to slam into place their radical agenda, their radical transformation of the nation, as Obama used to call it. They need the violent mayhem. They need the divisions. They need to pit us against each other, whether it's based on race or gender or religion or class. And in this case, you know, in 2020, they stoked a race war with the George Floyd thing. Now... This is like, this is anti-Semitism and, and a religious-based kind of thing that also goes into, there, there are other forms of radicalism like communism, socialism, etc. It's all tied together. But all they do, the, all the communists do, and we had Jesse Kelly on the show who's written a fantastic book about this, the Anti-Communist Manifesto. 
the communists are all about driving wedges between us and exploiting those wedges. The original communists were about the class differences, anti-capitalist, but modern communists are more about dividing us by race, by gender, by religion, whatever it takes to keep us at each other's throats because they know the second we get united, it's over for them. And that's why we do this show because we want to educate everybody about what the left and the communists are really all about and what, when you see this raging anti-Semitism that the left is stoking, when you see you know, the, the racial uh, divide that the left is stoking, this is all to, means to an end. Oh, America is so uh, full of sin on race. America is so full of sin on whatever issue. It's about getting you to look at your country differently, hate your country, and then go to war with them against your country. How's that for a mic drop? All right, let's hit another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Senator Ted Cruz about rebranded communism in the form of wokeism and what we can do to turn it around. Sit tight. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, we are back, and I am so happy to welcome back to the show Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, our relentless fighter for the Constitution and all of the freedoms that it guarantees. He has just written a brand new book about one of the most dangerous threats to those things, something we talk about all the time on this show, Marxism, and specifically cultural Marxism. His new book tackles exactly that. It's called Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America, and it's available now everywhere books are sold. So go get multiple copies for yourself and everybody you know. It's that important. Senator, welcome back. Monica, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for being here. And congratulations on this book. Like I said, it is one of the most important things that anybody will read. And just looking at your subtitle here, uh, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America, did you ever think that those words would be combined in the United States, cultural Marxism in America? Well, you know, even a few years ago, that would have been hard to imagine. But we have seen the radical left seize the institutions of our country. We have seen the cultural Marxists seize the organs of transmission of ideas. And, and this book explains how it happens. It, 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 it begins with the universities. And you and I have talked at length about how, how the universities are, as I describe them in the book, the universities are the Wuhan lab of the woke virus. They are where the virus was created. They're where it's mutated and they're where it's spread. And so it begins with universities poisoning the minds of young people. We have seen with, with war in the Middle East, how many elite universities are putting out 
extreme statements that are rabidly anti-Semitic, rabidly anti-Israel. That's one manifestation of, of the cultural Marxist having seized the universities. But from there, it spread to other institutions. So each chapter of the book addresses a different institution. So it goes from universities to K through 12 to, to educating our children because Marxists always start with the kids. They target the kids. It spread to journalism, a world you know, know well and deal with on a daily basis. It, 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 it spread to uh, entertainment, to music and, and movies and TV and sports. Uh, it, it spread to big tech and big business and science. And, and all across the board, we have seen the cultural Marxists taking over these institutions, weaponizing these institutions and using them to go after their enemies. And so this book, it tells war stories. It brings you inside how they did it. But then critically, it lays out strategies that are succeeding, that are working to fight back and take these institutions back. And I do want to deal with that because you do lay out some very precise steps that we can all take to take back our institutions and our country. But I want to backtrack for a second here, Senator, and talk about First of all, to, to give you so much credit for calling this what it is, which is a Marxist revolution. I've yes. been talking about this. You've been talking about this for years. We've taken a lot of incoming. I mean, I remember being on Fox News with Bill O'Reilly talking about Marxism and communism, and he'd scoff at me, Crowley, you're crazy. What are you talking about? And so I tried to soften it a little bit and use the word socialism instead of communism so people would accept the broader point. But this is a full-blown Marxist revolution. We have been underway with this revolution now for decades. So they have gotten these footholds in all of these institutions. And I want you to address cultural Marxism because that is the target of this book, Senator. We've got political Marxism in which the communists have taken over all of our government institutions. We see it in the DOJ and the FBI. There's yep. economic Marxism, which is the war on free market capitalism. And then, of course, cultural Marxism. Can you define it for us and give us a couple of examples? Well, sure. And, and, and the book traces this history. So, so it starts with, with just plain old ordinary vanilla Marxism and, and, and with, with communism as espoused and delineated by Karl Marx. And when Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, uh, building on the work of Engels, he, he, number one, began from an economic determinism view that, 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 it, that the world inevitably was in an economic conflict. And he broke, broke the conflict down to the oppressors and the victims. And in particular, in Marx's taxonomy, it was a divide between the owners of capital and the workers. And, and the only solution was, was a communist revolution uh, whereby the government forcibly redistributes property and controls and redistributes property and power from the oppressors to the victims. That was the original communist frame. And, and if you look at uh, originally the Marxists engaged in violent revolutions and whether it was the Russian Revolution or the Chinese Revolution or Vietnam or Nicaragua or Cuba, there were violent revolutions and bloodshed. But in America, when when they resorted to violence and you saw in the 60s groups like the Weather Underground and other terrorist groups blowing up, setting off bombs at the Pentagon and engaging in violent demonstrations at the 1968 Democratic Convention, they discovered that the violent revolution 
ended up backfiring and turning people away. And, and so they began instead what, what leftist intellectuals called the long march through institutions and their insight. And they articulated this beginning in the 60s was rather than overthrow the system, they would take it over from inside and they would go to work within these institutions. So in the universities, that was their first foothold where you had young Marxists um, arriving as, as faculty members and then tenured faculty members at elite institutions. My alma mater, Harvard University, is ground zero for this spreading throughout the United States. And the Marxists were on the faculty. From there, they spread into what was called critical legal studies, which was taking the Marxist frame and applying it to the law. So using the same frame of a battle and a never-ending battle between victims and oppressors, that they argued the law was a tool that was used by oppressors to suppress the victims. And the answer was for government to forcibly redistribute that power. From there, it's transmogrified, transmogrified to critical race studies and, and the same mechanism, but using instead of the, the, the dividing line being wealth, being socioeconomic status, the dividing line became race, that the world was inevitably a conflict between the races, between between white people and black people, and the blacks were inevitably the victims and the whites were inevitably racist. And the only answer was for government to redistribute power and discriminate against the oppressors in favor of the victims. In the world of cultural Marxism is using the the cultural mechanisms of communication, say entertainment, say music, say social media, say journalism using it to enforce their Marxist vision. And the Marxist vision is always redistributing power, redistributing advantage, redistributing wealth from the perpetually defined oppressors to the perpetually defined victims. And so they apply the oppression matrix to race, to gender, to sexual orientation, to, to transgenderism. They, they apply it on every framework. And so this breaks it down how they're doing it to to push discrimination and to push tearing down our free enterprise system. Marxists despise free enterprise. They want government control of our lives. And, and this book describes how they infiltrated even giant companies that used to be seen as the bastions of capitalism more and more are becoming the economic enforcers of the left wing. Yeah, and it's it's really been a remarkable thing to witness. I think a lot of people are waking up to it, and this book is going to go a long way to, to waking even more people up to the details of what has gone on here and where we are. But the fact that we are now at a tipping point has gotten a lot of people's attention. Yeah. But as, as your book points out, this has been going on for decades from the Marxist left. And while we as conservatives and populists we were living our lives, building careers, raising families, contributing to society, enjoying our communities, minding our own business. While we were doing all of those things, the left was at war. And yes. now we're at the tipping point where the whole thing is getting ready to, to go over the cliff just to implode. And the hour is so late. Do you think that there is time to throw all of this into reverse? You know, I do. And, and, and what it takes is our concerted understanding about what's happening and willingness to fight back. And mm -hmm. so one of the things I, I do in, in the book, uh, Unwoke, 
is I tell a lot of stories and, and I find this is the fourth book I've written and, and, and every one of the books I try to tell war stories because, you know, stories are how we think, it's how we remember, it's how we understand the world around us. So it's, this is not a theoretical academic book. This is bringing people inside. So the book begins uh, in Cuba. And, and as you know, my family's from Cuba. My father fought in the Cuban revolution. He was imprisoned. He was tortured and he was actually fighting with Fidel Castro. He didn't know Castro was a communist. But as my dad observes, the revolution was fought by 14 and 15 year old boys who didn't know any better. And, and that is true of communist revolutions throughout the world, that, that it is the teenagers and the children who are naive and, and who are filled with piss and vinegar who, who, who become the zealots. And, and one of the things it describes once the revolution succeeded I mentioned earlier, communists always start with the children mm -hmm. because if you control the children, you control the nation. And the, the, the opening of the book tells the story of my grandmother, my abuela. She was a sixth grade teacher in Cuba. And when Castro took over, they forced the school teachers to teach communism. And my grandmother told me the story of soldiers coming to the elementary school and they'd come into the kindergartens and the first grades. And they would tell the students, close your eyes, close your eyes and pray to God and ask for candy. And the children all did that. They opened their eyes and there was no candy. And then the soldiers would tell the children, close your eyes and pray to Fidel Castro for candy. The children did that. And while their eyes were closed, the soldiers put a piece of candy on every desk. That's what communists do. They try to poison the minds of our children. And so this book walks through how they're doing that with kids, how they are spreading this poison to young children. And, and, and you asked, OK, is there a way to fight back? Let, let, let me take the chapter on big business. It describes how big business has been weaponized. But but it also describes some major victories in 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 recent months and in particular I would highlight two, Bud Light and Target. So if you look at Bud Light, I don't think there has been a company in modern history that has done more to light itself on fire, to torch its business than Bud Light did so. And it did so by looking down with utter contempt on its customers as a bunch of uneducated rubes who needed to be lectured by their moral betters, which the Bud Light marketers believe they were, uh, to embrace a radical transgender agenda. And Bud Light went from the number one selling beer in America to it's now fallen out of the top 10. It's it's lost tens of billions of dollars of market cap. Actually, now Modelo, a Mexican beer, is the top selling beer in America. But it is a powerful example of the pushback. And, and, and the people in charge of, of this campaign at Bud Light were fired. They lost their jobs. But what was what is interesting in particular, Monica, is connecting that to what happened at Target right after that. So Target had in its stores across the country for Gay Pride Month, big displays right in front of the store, uh, embracing LGBT lifestyles, but in particular, pushing transgenderism on young children, selling things like bathing suits for two and three-year-old boys that were, quote, tuck-friendly so they could hide their genitals and and present themselves as little girls and they were pushing these to children and and listen a lot of parents especially moms across the country got really pissed and understandably why is target 
trying trying to 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 pitch this transgender agenda to to my two year old and three year old. And what's fascinating, if you look at the discussions the executives had at Target, and they too lost tens of billions of dollars in response to this. But the executives at Target, what they were all saying is, we don't want to be another Bud Light. Let's not go the path of Bud Light. That is powerful when big business is getting scared of the backlash because they've gone too far. And this book talks about strategies to expand accountability so that so that the woke warriors are not able to weaponize these institutions. So those two examples you gave, Senator, are so important, Bud Light and Target, because that was, in both cases, those were organic grassroots movements by us deciding that we were going to take our disposable income and place it somewhere else. We were, we have a choice where to spend our money. We were going to go elsewhere, but there was nobody leading those efforts, right? It was all just bubbled up from as a, as a populist revolt against these companies and, and they worked and it is fantastic. And now we're feeling our own power and realize that we do have power with our wallets and in our numbers. But do we also, at the same time, need to be a lot more focused and organized in our efforts because the left certainly is? Absolutely, yes. And so that's one of the things. Every chapter ends with, with a section, how we fight back. And it's laying, back strat- laying out strategies to be organized and direct and focused. So, for example, with big tech, I lay out five different steps, legal steps that we can use, whether it's antitrust scrutiny whether it's enforcing consumer protection laws, whether it is reforming Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, or whether it is private capital. Listen, Elon Musk's buying Twitter was the single most important development, I believe, for free speech in decades. It was enormously consequential. And I, and I walk through in the chapter on media, I walk through how, look, the left understands that ideas matter and, and, and they deliberately seize the commanding heights of debate. I I talk about how the Washington Post, Jeff Bezos bought the Washington Post for, I think, $300 million. Now, he did not buy the Post because he thought the long-term profitability of print media was so encouraging. He bought it because he wanted to dominate the commanding heights of the public debate. And too many conservatives in business, they they, they focus just on, on producing widgets, on maximizing profit and loss, they say, well, I could get a slightly higher return marketing widgets than, than a newspaper, so why should I engage in newspapers? Well, you should, because if you want to maintain a system where you can have a business that survives, you cannot forfeit the commanding heights of public debate. And so I urge laying out a plan for conservatives, go buy newspapers, go buy movie studios, go buy a country music label. I lay out a plan that has worked, and when people have done it, it shifts the debate. And there is power to sunlight. As, as you rightly noted, Bud Light and Target were organic, but they were organic because you could find out what was happening. Look, the Bud Light thing, if, if anything started it, it may have been Kid Rock setting up a, a table full of Bud Light and, 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 and shooting at it with an AR-15 and, and screaming <laughs> expletives, F Bud Light. And, and that, look, I got to say, I saw that on Twitter initially, and that went viral, and others had that same sentiment. And I got to tell you, look, I, I, I was just j- just at, at, at 
uh, the American League uh, Championship Series. And and you know what? In the entire stadium, there wasn't a single Bud Light to be seen. Mm-hmm. And and I got to say, you know, I'm an Astros fan. That the, the Astros have been in seven ALCSs in a row. A few years ago, everybody had a Bud Light. I mean, it was a dramatic different. I don't even think they sell Bud Light anymore in the stadium, whereas it used to be ubiquitous. And, and it's the power of sunlight and transparency. And, and that's one of the key insights of this book. The ideas of the left are supremely unpopular. They only work through force and power, but they also work through darkness and secrecy. And so the answer is take away the darkness and secrecy and expose them and use the result of that to take away their ability to exert force and power. That's what it will take as a concerted fight to take these institutions back. Yes, and courage. Courage is the critical part yes, of this. Yes, Everybody's yes. afraid, right, to stand up and and be that lone voice because they don't want to get canceled, they don't want to lose their job, whatever, you know, whatever the fear might be. But courage is contagious. And so when one person takes a stand against Bud Light, suddenly two and then four, and it grows exponentially. And now the next thing you know, the whole country is boycotting in a silent boycott um, Bud Light. And that sends an absolute signal. I think Disney has gotten the message as well. Whether or not they change their content, that is a different issue. But when it affects their bottom line like this, that does get their attention. Uh, one thing, and then I've got one final question for you. We'll let you go, Senator. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned the media. My very first boss with my very first real job was former President Richard Nixon, as you know. Yes. And when we spoke about the bias of the press, he had a very interesting insight. He said, you know what, Monica? He said, smart conservatives, when they're coming out of college or graduate school, smart conservatives go into business to make money. Smart leftists go into the media to change the world. And I think in retrospect, thinking about that Nixon quote, changing the world is a very kind of idealistic thing. And I think if you're a young communist, you've got all these idealistic views of equality and what you're going to, the change you're going to affect. But the bottom line of Marxism is power and control. To what end? Well, to, to oppress you, of course, but to change the very a landscape of America, of this country, and they are well down the track of doing that. Um, final question for you, Senator, because we are talking about this Marxist revolution. This is what your book, Unwoke, addresses. Since the Democratic Party is now completely controlled, taken over by Marxists, people may not be out Marxists, but the Marxists are the ones driving the bus on that side. How has that affected you in terms of working on Capitol Hill, trying to get things done, because you are not dealing with traditional Democrats on the other side. You're dealing with revolutionaries. Well, they're more and more open and out Marxist in government on Capitol Hill. And and you have, you know, it used to be Bernie Sanders was the only admitted socialist. And let's be clear, Bernie honeymooned in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. That's friggin bizarre. And, mm-hmm. and that is not not the conduct a, a normal person who, who, who doesn't bleed red, and I don't mean red blood when I say that. That's not the conduct people typically do. It used to be Bernie was the outlier. You now have the agenda on Capitol Hill 
driven by the Bernie Sanders of the world, driven by the, the, the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, driven by the AOCs of the war world. That's who's driving the agenda for the Biden administration. That's who they're listening to. Uh, and, and for many of the rest of the Democrats, it's not that they are today outright Marxists, it's that they're scared of them. It, it, it's, it's that they exert power within their own party. So, for, ex- for example, we had a hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee where one of the Democrats uh, referred to birthing people. And, and I actually pu- pulled him aside afterwards on the Senate floor and I said, is the base of your party really that bat crap crazy that you can't say moms? And he just looked at me and said, yeah. I, I mean, that's the world we live in. They're afraid. They're afraid of the radicals in their own party. But that also gives the path to victory. I'm a big believer in incentives. And we have to change the incentives. We have to make the cost of doing the wrong thing greater than the benefit of doing the wrong thing. Ironically, the left has understood incentives. How did they shift big business? How did they turn big business into their economic enforcers? Well, for a CEO, the incentives were always the case that it made sense if you're utterly apolitical to give in to the woke mob because they've infiltrated your employees and the young 20-somethings who were little Marxists in college are now the loudmouths in your company. They're active on Twitter. They're active on the boards of directors. They have activist shareholders. And so all of the pressure you're getting is from the left. And and if you give in, you can you can sometimes satiate the woke mob. And so you saw even non-ideological CEOs. I I describe stories. I bring you inside uh, multiple conversations I had with major corporate CEOs where they gave in to the woke mob because their employees were angry and they just needed to calm them down. What has changed and what I think makes Bud Light and Target so important is the incentives have changed. The cost side of the ledger has grown up, grown significantly. And I also describe a movement that Texas spearheaded and I was very active in, which is that you're, you're seeing now states pass legislation. Texas passed a law that, that, that said, if you boycott oil and gas, we will boycott you. The state of Texas will not invest our pension funds or our university endowments, hundreds of billions of dollars in your business if you're targeting oil and gas, which produces millions of jobs in our state. That has had a profound impact. Other states have followed suits. That, that's actually putting economic bite on the other side. And much of this book is laying out strategies that have worked so far and strategies that can work going forward. I'll give you one more example. Uh, talking about universities, and, and, and the book tells the story of the shameful episode at Stanford Law School where a federal appellate judge went there and was screamed down by radical leftists who cursed, hurled epithets at him, screamed, I hope your daughters are raped. I mean, horrible, nasty stuff. All on video, by the way. You can watch this whole shameful exercise. But it then describes the next steps, which is that, that the judge appealed to the university administration, which ostensibly had a free speech policy. And the DEI administrator, the associate dean, came in and sided with the radicals. And she kept turning to him and saying, is the juice worse the squeeze? Your words are doing violence and, and causing pain and hurt, which is complete nonsense. But it's the way leftists talk. The follow up to that was significant. I wrote a letter to the president, president of Stanford, and the dean of the law school. 
demanding that 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 dean be terminated. She has been terminated. Mm -hmm. Stanford actually did the right thing and Mm -hmm. fired her. Uh, But not only that, I wrote a letter to the Texas bar. And and listen, if you tried to do what those students did in front of a judge and you're a lawyer. You'd be thrown in jail. You would be held in contempt by the federal judge and you would be thrown in jail. You cannot treat a judge like that if you want to be a member of the bar and practice in court. And, and I wrote to the Texas bar and said, our law schools are now teaching law students that screaming and cursing and, and, and insulting judges and treating them horribly is acceptable behavior. Part of becoming a member of the bar, being admitted to practice law, is a determination of character and fitness. And I encourage the Texas bar for graduates of Stanford Law School, you should inquire, did you engage in screaming and insulting and harassing this federal judge? But because if so, there are real questions where you, whether you are fit to be a lawyer and a member of the Texas bar. And remarkably, the, the chief justice of the Texas Supreme Court responded in writing and said, I fully agree. I'm dismayed by the direction that Stanford and Yale and other schools have done. And we now, the Texas bar, are going to independently investigate whether they participated in this sort of harassing behavior, which is not suitable for a lawyer. Monica, that changes the cost-benefit analysis. You're a young mm-hmm. law student. It's one thing to yell at someone when you think you can go cash out at the back at the back end. If they're costs, that's part of how we start re- retaking these institutions. We also just saw that when the Israel-Hamas war broke out, when Hamas attacked Israel and killed about 1,600 Israelis and took a couple of hundred hostage, we saw some of that break out in the universities, yes. right? Because especially Harvard, which is your alma mater, I guess Harvard Law School, right? Um, and we saw, you know, pro-terrorists, pro-Hamas uh, student groups signing letters and protesting, you know, and standing up for for the Palestinian cause and Hamas and terrorism. And we have seen a massive backlash, in particular with big money donors who have now closed their checkbooks to these institutions. And they're saying, if you're going to condone this kind of pro-terrorist activity, when when we have moral clarity on this situation then no more money for you. And that's the thing that gets their attention, whether you're Disney, Coca-Cola, Target, or Harvard. That, that, that is absolutely right, and, and, and it was powerful. Look, when, when you had 35 student groups at Harvard say that the horrific attacks by Hamas, the targeting of civilians, the, the, the deliberate murdering of civilians, the raping of women and young girls, the beheading of inf- infants, they said all of that, was 100% the fault of Israel. It was a viciously anti-Semitic, anti-Israel lie, and it was a statement 35 student groups put out. The Harvard administration initially refused to say anything. Then they tepidly uh, uh, put out a statement criticizing it. I, I led a letter in the Senate with Elise Stefanik in the House. We're both Harvard graduates. We had a number of Harvard graduates in both the Senate and the House join our letter, calling on Harvard to, to unequivocally denounce that, that, that hatred and anti-Semitism and what is the garbage they're teaching their students, that sunlight is powerful. And you're right that you are seeing donors pulling money back. Uh, look, big business, all of the big com- companies that wrote checks to, to BLM, Black Lives Matter. BLM is an avowedly and openly Marxist organization, which, among other things, emphatically supports Hamas, has spoken out vocally in support of Hamas's acts of terrorism, and has said Israel should cease to exist. and calling these corporations to account. Why are you funding and supporting 
a rabidly anti-Semitic institution. Every part of that, and, and, and the book Unwoke walks through each of these issues, gives you the facts, gives you chapter and verse. By the way, it ends with China, and it points out how China is a nexus that underlies the woke takeover of many of these institutions. And so it's designed to, number one, be a fun, readable read, that, it, that it's interesting, it gives you information, it's accessible. But number two, it's useful. It gives you information that you can use in your day-to-day life to fight back. And, 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 and that's why I would encourage folks, go to Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, go wherever you get books and, and, and buy Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. That's right, because if you really want to send a signal with your disposable income, you buy books like this and you support content like this. This is what gets their attention. I love this book. It is, it's excellent. It is so important because it does give you the concrete steps to fight back, but it also lays out real hope, Senator. So many Americans feel helpless because the left controls all of the levers of power. But you're reminding us here today on this show, but also in this book, Unwoke, that the real power still rests with us. And we do have the power to change this, but we have to really put our minds and our wallets to it and summon the courage to do it. The book is called Unwoke, How to Defeat Cultural Marxism in America. Go get it wherever you get your books. And I want to thank you so much. Senator Ted Cruz, thank you, my friend. Thank thank you, Monica. God bless. Well, another blockbuster show in the can. Thank you guys so much for being here. I really appreciate you and everybody you tell about this show. Thank you so much. Also, thank you for checking out our phenomenal sponsors. We're grateful to you for doing that and to them for sponsoring this show. Much gratitude. All right. Have a great start to your week. And I will see you right back here on Thursday. We are working on another big guest with a really important conversation. So once that is confirmed, you will know it and you're not going to want to miss it. So I will see you right back here on Thursday. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Behakal Entertainment, LLC. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.